uh, Philippians 4, verse 3, uh, Paul wrote, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Pretty good indication that those women were probably single. We couldn't say for sure. Um, just an example. Amy Carmichael died in India in 1951 at the age of 83. She asked that no stone be put over her grave. Instead, the children she had cared for put a birdbath over it with a single inscription, Amma, which means mother in the Tamil language. She cared for over a thousand children in her lifetime. So there's a role for single women, and sometimes maybe when they size mothers, um, that maybe it feels like we're kind of minimizing the singles, and I, I don't want to do that at all, uh, but uh, just, but the day is Mother's Day and we're speaking to mothers. <laughs> uh, one other thing I, I think about too is in Matthew 12, uh, where uh, the crowd told Jesus that your family's outside, they want to see you. And this is the way it's recorded, but he answered and said to them that told him, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. And he wasn't, uh, he wasn't uh, being disrespectful to his mother or his family, but he was saying that our spiritual relationships are more important than our familial relationships. Let's turn to Genesis 1, first chapter in the Bible, book of beginnings, Genesis Uh, verses 27 and 28 in chapter 1. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And here, here again, you know, in our current society, there's supposedly a lot of different genders in that, but this is what the Bible says. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl there and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. But God told the male and the female to be fruitful and multiply. God told Abraham in Genesis 12, he said, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now how was God going to bless all families in the earth through Abraham. Well, in Genesis 22, chapter, verse 18, it says, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So that was how God was going to do it. It was through his descendants. Let's turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. 
Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So children are a blessing from the Lord. It's his reward. And it says they're like arrows. We individually can only accomplish so much in life, but as we train the next generation, they can accomplish things that we could not have accomplished ourselves. They're arrows, they go out. And it says, happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. Been various uh, thoughts on what a quiver full is. Uh, this book, uh, Divine Design for the Family, on the front of the book, there's a, a quiver of arrows. And see, there's one in the hand, and there's one, two, three, four, five, there's seven in the quiver. Um, this was by Ray Wanger, a friend of mine. He's 30 years old. He's redoing it. Uh, it's coming out with a new edition after 30 years. I, I do want to get a copy. It's a very good book, and he certainly raised a very uh, commendable family. Uh, but it's just interesting that cover of the book. The next chapter, 128, says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house thy children like olive plants round about thy table. So that's a rather um, pleasant picture. And uh, of course, we know that families, um, the daily routine isn't always that idyllic maybe but that is, um, underneath, that's the essence. Back to Psalm 113, verse 9. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord says, a joyful mother of children. Genesis. In Genesis, again, I'll just read these verses. When Isaac was born, it says in Genesis 21, 5 and 6, And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God has made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me thought about that in relation to being a joyful mother of children and John the Baptist when John the Baptist was born and again Elizabeth was old it says now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son and her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her so godly parents rejoice when God gives them children according to his will and purposes. More often than not, that's, that's the plan. I think they say the, about 10% of uh, women can't have children, but that's, the, uh, that's God's plan, as we read there in Genesis. In Titus uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says that they may teach the young women to be sober, 
to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And similar thought in Timothy, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. I want to read something that I think speaks somewhat to what those verses are saying in Titus and Timothy. This lady wrote, I have an infirmity in my spiritual life, and I have spent 20 years trying to regain my health. During my years of public education, my soul became infected with the disease of worldly philosophies. Yet if anyone could have graduated from the public classrooms unscathed, it was I. I was set up for success. I truly loved the Lord and was more biblically literate than most. I had a stable family with parents who cared about my emotional, spiritual, and physical welfare. I escaped the moral morass that keeps parents awake at night, praying that God will preserve their children's souls. My high school years could be projected on a screen for all to see, and there's very little of which I would be ashamed. I took advantage of opportunities offered me in school and had a long list of awards and accolades by the time I graduated. The light of Christ shone through me enough that my classmates voted me most likely to become a nun. I was also valedictorian of my high school class and suffered persecution for wanting to state the name of Jesus in my graduation speech. So why is it that I feel ensnared by my education? It wasn't because I lost my Christian testimony or fell into deep sin or worldly behavior. Instead, I succumbed to a more subtle malady. The worldly philosophies and values that were taught day after day by my teachers, textbooks, and classmates sank deeply into my heart and mind, influencing my entire outlook on life. It has taken the Lord 20 years to begin to teach me to think biblically. I graduated from high school as a feminist. If you had asked me if I was a feminist, I would have denied it. I did not hate men or think that men and women were equal in every way. After all, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. But I did not have any idea of the roles God ordained for men and women. I wanted a career more than almost anything else in life and I was taught that this was what I should work toward in school. I wanted to be a successful businesswoman in some field. I longed to leave home every day, wear pretty suits, and make lots of money. I looked down on those who invested their lives in running a home and raising a family. When I was still a student, my sister got married, and some talented homemakers hosted a very lovely bridal tea for her. I remember sneering inside that those women did not have anything more important to do than make chocolate-covered cherries. Needless to say, I did not spend much time learning the skills I would need to run a home. I was too busy pursuing career skills the world told me were more valuable. Even though I had read and studied Bible passages like Proverbs 31 and Titus 2, 4, and 5, I inwardly interpreted them through such a thick screen of cultural thought that the truth of what God was really saying did not dawn on me for a long time. I did not know that God created a woman to find her calling and fulfillment through her home. 
I knew nothing about being a helpmeet to my husband, and in my early years of marriage, I often thought he was supposed to be a helpmeet to me. Thankfully, I knew that if I was going to have children, I needed to raise them, and this meant staying home with them. But I have a journal full of my distress over giving up my career. I poured out my heart to God on how difficult it was to lay aside all the praise of men I had received and the fulfillment I had felt through my work. God is very compassionate, and once I laid my career on his altar, he has helped me find wonderful joy and riches in my calling as a helpmeet, mommy, and homeschooler. But it was a very painful process, and I wasted many years of my life chasing vain things the world calls important because I was taught to do this every day, year after year, in school. Parallel to my desire for a career outside my home, I also had no desire for children. I was not against having children. I was just very ambivalent about being a parent. I felt that children interrupted many things I thought were important. Children not only made the pursuit of a career difficult, but they also made travel and worldly experiences more challenging. I was not completely selfish in my desire not to have children. I knew it would be more difficult to serve the Lord in the church if I was stuck at home raising babies. I did not realize what Psalm 127.3 meant when it says, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Thankfully, in this area too, God has re-educated me to show me that children are extremely important to his kingdom. I could have no greater ministry than to raise my children to know, love, and serve God. I now have four children, and I am so grateful that God got through to me before my childbearing years were completely wasted. Well, we could say we're thankful that our children don't get exposed or get um, saturated with that sort of philosophy in school. We have our Christian school. But the, the cultural pressure is the same. It's everywhere around us. You know, like uh, in Biden's recent speech, they said it's historic. There's two women sitting behind him. You know, the vice president and the speaker of the house. You know, this was great stuff. Um, so I say the cultural pressure is kind of like one of the paraphrases I think says in Romans 12, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And so there's this tremendous pressure sometimes. Uh, no, no earthly culture will completely aligned with God's culture. And uh, so I'm thankful that we have truth, we have scripture that explains to us how God created us, his purposes for us, and what's ultimate fulfillment in life. A minister's wife told of filling out a form in her pediatrician's office. Beside the blank marked occupation were these words. If you devote the greater part of your time to loving, caring, and making a home for your family, put a big star in this space. I like that. I want to talk a little bit about honoring mothers. Let's turn to these verses. Uh, familiar, but let's just turn. Exodus 20. Exodus 20, it's the uh, 
I believe that's the chapter of the Ten Commandments. Yes. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Honor. Honor our parents. Honor our mother. Honor our father. And that, I think that lasts as long as we live, even after they're gone. We can live in honor to them. Maybe I'll just read a few other verses here. Deuteronomy 27, 16. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother, and all the people shall say amen. We should speak respectfully of our parents. Uh, children have their struggles growing up sometimes, and... Uh, Maybe don't respect their parents as much as they could or should. I remember hearing a young man saying rather lightly about his dad. He said, oh, a glass of oranges and knock him over. That's not respectful. Curse it be that says light by his father or his mother. Proverbs 30, verse 17, The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. I suppose that's figurative language, but so in the seriousness of it. Isaiah 45, 10, Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou or to the woman? What hast thou brought forth? I am... I think I'll read something here. Um, as we, I'm 72 now, I'm not 12 or 15 or 18 anymore, but as children grow up sometimes, they have some struggles appreciating their parents. And uh, we need to be thankful. Our, our parents, aren't perfect and children tend to see flaws but I, I read this to help us to appreciate what we do have this is an account from Mexico I think this it's in that Mexico Mennonite aid mission setting but the lady writing says I would like to introduce you to Chile, uh, it's got a full four names here, but um, just Chile. He is a native of 22 years old who continues to find his way into our lives. His earlier job was forfeited for someone who needed or wanted the money worse than he. Now he works as there is work available. Most times it is night work loading semis with charcoal. He comes by a lot and comes in handy for all those little odd jobs around the mission, even tightening up my cabinets to make them roach-free. Chile is always very respectful and willing to comply with the desires and rules of the mission. 
to the point where he was willing to stay away from the mission if we thought it necessary. He nearly cried at the thought of it. As he learned to know us better, he began telling us more and more about his past. Most of it was a story here and a story there. Sometimes I had trouble understanding over the lack of language barriers, but I will tell it to you the best that I can remember it. And so this is what she gathered. Right off, I can count at least 20 men my mother's lived with. I don't remember the time when my dad, mom and dad lived together. Probably one of my earliest childhood re recollections is the time my stepdad, he has that in quotes because it was just another one of the men, tried to strangle me. He forced my head through the spindles of an armrest. He tried to choke me with a rope. My cries brought someone to my rescue. When I was five years old, my mom told me I'm old enough to start working out. I had to help make a living. I did a lot of odd jobs. I would sell ice cream or just be a regular errand boy. I never got to keep any of the money I made. Any money I received from winning races or games was dealt out to my brothers and sisters. I was often beaten because of the mistakes of my siblings or simply at my mother's will, beaten till my whole body was torn and bleeding. One time it was so bad I couldn't walk for a whole month. Things finally got so bad that my grandmother offered to keep me. That worked fine till my mother decided she wanted me back. Once in her possession again, she rented me out. This was to various families for months or years at a time. I was their hired hand, or better stated, their slave. What happened to me usually didn't matter, and finally I was tired of life. Tired of being unloved, uncared for, and feeling so alone. At age nine, I took a knife to kill myself. Someone caught me before I managed to accomplish my plan. Another time, I decided to take the bus to Campeche and try living with my stepdad. The sufferings I endured there I'd really rather not talk about. I escaped from there in the wee hours early one morning. I began having trouble with excessive nosebleeds. One day when I was at a friend's house, my nose bled for hours. They took me to the small hospital in Hopelchen. From there I was transported to Campeche, then to Merida, and finally I landed in Mexico City. I needed an operation to remove the tumor in my nose that was causing all the trouble. The money others had given my mom for the expensive operation was spent on other things. Finally, the town of Hopelchen took up an offering for the funds needed. My operation was planned for June. When we got there, someone else with a larger nose tumor was there also needing an operation. Because of the severity of his side effects, I told the doctor that I would wait till December. He could use my appointment for the other fellow. My mom was very angry with me for giving up my appointment. I was subjected to a severe beating. December came and the doctor was preparing me for surgery. I told him that once he has given me anesthesia and I'm out, I would want him, I want him to kill me. He was shocked and asked me if I didn't want to live. My explanations did not persuade him. He would not do it. I didn't wake up from the anesthesia when they expected and my life was hanging in a balance. After six days, I awoke from the coma and was disappointed to need to live again. An interesting experience I had happened the day I took the bus to Katop. 
I was standing in the front, and as the bus rounded a curve, I lost my balance. By scrambling to find something to hold on to, the door flew open and I went sailing out. I landed in the midst of large boulders and everyone thought for sure that I would be dead. But I will never forget the feeling of those arms underneath me as I flew through the air. Evidently, the Lord um, wanted to, to live. At 16 years old, one of Galen's, that's one of the mission families, one of Galen's children invited me to play at the mission. It soon became my favorite place to be, and it was there that the seed of new hope for living was born. I learned a lot from Galen's, and it was from their encouragement that I went to my mom and family. I told them that I have forgiven my mom for all those things of the past. It was difficult, but afterward I felt like a load had rolled off my shoulders. It still pains me to see others taking their good mothers for granted. To all of you as good mothers, I say, treasure her, love her, obey, and respect her. She is a gift from God, and you may not always have her. And some of us so long to feel the love of a godly mother. And then the writer goes on to say, and the stories are many more and keep coming. Life is easier for him than it used to be, but he still faces struggles, some from the continued abuse and rejection of his family and some deeper inner struggles. Sometimes my heart is just too full and it overflows in tears. Life is not fair, but Christ accept, but Chile's acceptance of God's sovereignty and his attitude will always be a challenge to me. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the world that don't have the privilege of a God-directed family, God-controlled family. Proverbs 1.8 My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Another verse from Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. And Proverbs 23 22, verse 22, I believe it is, Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. And then Ephesians 6, 2, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And that goes back to the uh, Ten Commandments where it says, Honor your father and mother, that the days may be long. So there in Ephesians it says, First commandment with promise. I'd like for you to turn to Isaiah 8, verse 18. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18. You know, the prophets often were speaking to a people that were going away from God. 
uh, they prophesied of difficult times to come. And it's interesting here that God, well, what Isaiah says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel, whom the Lord of hosts, from the Lord of hosts which dwells in Mount Zion. I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel. That was the, um, sort of the, uh, let's see if I have it here. Um, the seed thought for um, something in one of the just for you's many years ago that uh, John D. Martin wrote. It says, if you have a new baby, over, over 200 years ago, men glued their attention to the march of Napoleon. They waited impatiently for the latest news of his conquest. All the time, babies were being born. Babies whose lives would shake society far more than any battle of Napoleon. But most men's minds were on battles, not babies. Yet in a single year, during Napoleon's wars, a host of influential persons stole into the world. All these people were born in 1809. William Gladstone, Alfred Tennyson, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Charles Darwin, Abraham Lincoln, Felix Mendelssohn. These men left heavy marks on the world for both the good and the bad, but they made their entrance as babies. And when God wanted to turn the world right side up, he sent a babe to Bethlehem. Don't let anything detract your attention from that bundle of potential in your arms. Perhaps you need vision for your child. Consider the bold ideal of Isaiah. Behold, the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel. Does that sound too high? Isaiah saw it come true. You can too. But your mind must be on your child now when he is a baby. And I, I've said here before that we need to be training our children to be tomorrow's martyrs. Maybe that doesn't sound like a very pleasant goal. But we could look at history and uh, there were mothers who, I, would you say rejoice? I don't know if that's the right word, but Counted a privilege for their children to die for the master. I don't know if I had shared this before here or not, but some years ago, um, when my dad uh, had hospice care, one of the hospice nurses, when she walked in the door, I recognized her, um, and she said, um, "She said, I'm Julie." And I, I think I said, yeah, I recognize you. Uh, she had been pretty heavy in the drama club in high school. And from there, sort of went the way those things go. And uh, But uh, one day as she was leaving, I followed her and I asked her, uh, I asked her how things were with her spiritually. 
And uh, she said, well, I forget exactly um, how it was. It was the idea that she had strayed pretty far, but she found her way back. And uh, another conversation I had with her, she was talking about the shape of the world today and how her, I don't know if it's her sister, her niece, or who, and about she enjoyed being with their children, but she said she fears for them, the world they're coming into. And, uh, and I said, well, you don't know what the Lord might do with that child. And she said, I need that. So that's the way we need to look at it. Let's see, one more writing here I might read. This was from a, I don't know who this lady was, Sarah Josepha Hale, an American pioneer and writer in the early 18th century. There is no influence so powerful as that of a mother. Indeed, it is that very power that makes celebrating moms so compelling. For we as mothers have the distinct privilege of playing a major role in the creation of new life. That we alone possess the physical nature unique for the job is an honor of breathtaking proportions. Yes, we are the life bearers, the nurturers, the nose wipers, storytellers, and skin knee kissers. Yet we are so much more. We are the ones who bring a child into his own. We are the ones who provide examples of honesty so their children grow up to be honest and examples of tolerance so that they will be tolerant. We encircle them with love so they will be loving. We hold in our hands the power to shape their world. There's a powerful statement here. To model integrity and morality, we have the power to inspire an ethical renaissance starting one child at a time in our very own homes. Motherhood offers us the challenge of raising a whole generation to greatness. We do it not only out of love or duty. Our babies bring out the best of what we can give. We have to give. It's hardwired into our DNA. They demand every ounce of our energy and we give it. Every test of our patience and they receive it. Every fiber of our being becomes transformed into designs unknown before motherhood. Motherhood presents us with the greatest creative challenge ever known. For it is up to us in large part to discern what unique gifts and talents were given each child and how to make them known to the world. It is our job to develop each child to his fullest, to bring out his best, to nurture each talent, to find that creative genius residing in each one of our children and let it explode into the universe. Motherhood is then the most challenging and honorable profession. It is a calling of noble stature that we can take a newborn babe and with generous nursing, countless rocking and endless nurturing, raise a child full of infinite optimism and opportunity continues to both fascinate and scare me to death. The responsibility is so huge, the challenge so great, the cost so enormous, yet the payment so full. We work, after all, in the very center of the universe to shape human destiny. And that's the role God gave mothers. And that's a greater role than being vice president or speaker of the house. And I'm not, I'm not, uh, casting any reflection on that. I'm just putting things in perspective. Just a couple other uh, anecdotes here. Lauren Sani uh, was president of Navigators for years. That was a, that's an international ministry. 
And he wrote this. My mother gave birth to me in a frontier house on a Midwestern prairie. On the kitchen counter, she placed a list of the ingredients necessary for my formula. At the top of the list was prayer, and that remained at the top of her list for me throughout her life. I have her to thank for firmly establishing my spiritual roots. And we could have, we could have looked at more scriptures. Uh, we're familiar with scriptures, and it's good to use scripture. I'd maybe use more other things today. 2 Timothy 1.5, familiar account again. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I persuaded that in thee also. And one final uh, illustration. Uh, G.C. Morgan was a noted uh, preacher and Bible expositor, and he had four sons, and they were all preachers. Someone once came into the drawing room when all the family was there. They thought they would see what Howard, one of the sons, was made of, so they asked him this question. Howard, who is the greatest preacher in your family? Howard had great admiration for his father, and he looked straight across at him, and then without a moment's hesitation, he answered, Mother. Mother.